0: You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and supported by the Western Weekender. For three decades Penrith and the Blue Mountains have turned to the Western Weekender. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Here is your host Jonathan robinson
1: Lees. Thanks for joining us for the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Today, we are joined by Australian hurdler, Sarah Klein. Sarah represented Australia at the 2019 World Championships, contesting the iconic 400 metre hurdles. This moment, like many others in Sarah's journey, are a result of years of toil combined with a humble perspective. Please enjoy the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Sarah, welcome to the Passion and Perspective podcast.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Sarah, in 2019, you were one of 57 Australian athletes to compete at the World Championships in Doha. Being alongside some of the world's best athletes, what was that experience like for you?
0: Pretty incredible, a bit of a dream come true. A lot of the athletes I kind of see on social media, so to see them in person was a bit crazy. <laughs> I wasn't really sure how to act around them or like, felt a bit out of place. But yeah, it was, it was really cool and you kind of learn that they're people too and it's like, oh, yeah, like <laughs> I'm just like them. But yeah, it was really, really cool.
1: And in your mind, was that the pinnacle of your career? Had, had you felt like you'd finally made it as an athlete?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, it kind of woke me up a bit cause just to be at that level. I kind of went in a bit of hibernation with my athletics for a while, not really thinking I could go any further. And then just like making it there and actually being at that competition was like, oh yeah, I am good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And your mentality at the start line or your mindset at the start line, you know, you're set, you're ready to race, what, what's that like? Again, you're lined up against some of these athletes. Are you, are you completely in the zone? Are you able to enjoy the experience? What's going through your mind at that start line?
0: Oh, so much. <laughs> I have a real bad problem of just overthinking everything. So, a lot of it was just thinking, whoa, like this is actually happening. But, like, you know, I wasn't really thinking about the other athletes at that time. It was more just like, don't stuff it up, <laughs> run well. But yeah, it was just more the uncertainty of what's going to happen because I've never raced against people of that league before so it's a bit of yeah bit uncharted territory
1: you talked about there i guess controlling what you can control controlling your own race and not worrying about the other athletes yeah. do you think that's the key to the racing because at the end of the day you can't influence how quick they run or how slow they run is that the key just to focus on what you can control
0: yeah definitely it's hard like not getting caught up in thinking about the other athletes but definitely focusing on your own race and what you've been training for thinking about like how you're going to run it, your stride pattern. Yeah, it's it's hard to do that. I did get a bit caught up with the other athletes, like trying to go out with them. But yeah, trying to think about going races is definitely the way to
1: go. The races themselves, you know, it's a matter of hundredths of a second. It's such a fine margin. For you, that 2019 World Championships was the culmination of a seven-year journey. What did it mean to you to have made it?
0: A lot. <laughs> it really... Um, it re-sparked that kind of flame with me with my training and all that because I had gone so long without really accomplishing too much with my training. Like, I I was getting better but nothing, like, hadn't made any teams or anything to really show for it. So this was just, yeah, real <laughs> cherry on the top of up and just, like, to finally, like, make a team. How
1: did you stay motivated? How did you build resilience over that time? You know, if there weren't the specific improvements along the way, you weren't making the teams. How did you keep yourself going?
0: Well, I I do enjoy like training and competing, but I think just like that little bit of hope that like it'll happen this year or this year will happen. I'm just always hoping that you have your breakthrough and then yeah, it'll all be worth it. And it it did, in that year it did.
1: And how do you measure success as an athlete? Do you look purely at your times? Is it your placings? Is it just the gut feeling that you have at the end of the race?
0: A lot of of it for me is times. So placings, like, that's good. But if I run a good time and I don't place well, then I'm like, oh, well, at least I've run better than I ever have. Yeah, and also that feeling you get, like, when you do have a good race, it's, yeah, you can't really beat it. It's such a good feeling. And it's like, oh, I've trained so hard. And, like, now finally I can, like, reap the rewards from it
1: and were there times during that seven-year journey that you wanted to give it away and call it quits
0: yeah definitely I, it's always like you have that little period where you just you don't want to do it anymore you think about what everyone else is doing and like everyone everyone's concentrating on life and their careers and that definitely definitely thought about that a lot kind of was thinking am i wasting my time just doing this athletics when i could should be getting a proper job and like i don't know doing what normal people would do instead of training all the time i do like i miss out on a lot because of my training and i think i sometimes use it as a bit of an excuse but yeah like i said when you finally run a good race or P V then it's like okay <laughs> it's worth it yeah.
1: and you reference like a proper job so to speak were there pressures and what were the pressures that you felt to kind of take take on a normal career that some might call it
0: just it's more my own pressure of getting a career. my like my family's pretty good with it. my mom and dad are really like really supportive and always have been really understanding so they've always like pushed me to just follow like athletics and if that's what I want to do then like yeah keep doing it yeah it's kind of like seeing everyone else kind of getting jobs and going to uni and all that I was like oh I should be doing that.
1: At the same time with people your friends who have the normal jobs were they coming to you saying what an awesome life you're living because we've had guests on the podcast before who. That's quite a paradox where you feel the pressure to go get a normal job, yet everyone within your circles is almost envious of your life. Did you find that some of your friends were, I guess, looking at it the other way?
0: Well, a lot of my friends are within the athletics community, so they kind of understand, but yeah, not really. I do not really get that too much, which is good, I guess.
1: (laughs) And you grew up in Colo Heights in the greater Hawkesbury region. What was your childhood like?
0: Pretty adventurous. (laughs) Because uh, we were pretty isolated from a lot of our school friends, we got up to a lot of mischief at home. So me and my twin sister and my two older brothers, we'd go on some bushwalks and do I don't know, make cubby houses and trees and stuff. Got up to a lot of a lot of silly things. Probably shouldn't have done, <laughs> but yeah, it was really good. I really enjoyed my my childhood. Um, a lot of things now I probably wouldn't wouldn't do, <laughs> but a lot of climbing trees. Um, yeah. It's good childhood
1: (laughs) how important do you think it is for any kids to have that adventure and and outdoors and the chance just to explore
0: yeah i think it's really important just these days like classic on the on the xbox or all the games they play not getting out i feel like it's a missed opportunity getting out and seeing nature and just like actually like i don't know using your imagination trying to just i don't know make up games with your friends and kids yeah, I think they're missing out on quite a bit.
1: And what role did your siblings have on your upbringing? Two older brothers and a twin sister you referenced there. Was, was it supportive? Was it competitive? What was the landscape like for you guys?
0: <laughs> uh, a bit of both, pretty competitive. My sister's always been like all my all my siblings and family have been really supportive. But my sister's probably had the biggest like impact on me. Um, I don't know why <laughs> I'm getting teary, but she's um, yeah, she's definitely been big help with my running and getting through everything.
1: Do you recall the moment that you uncovered your love for running?
0: Not really, I used to hate doing (laughs) athletics. Um, We used to do little athletics like with my sister and my siblings, um, my brothers. And we used to try and get out of going to little athletics because we just didn't want to do it. So I remember one time I had like orange juice and milk to try and make myself feel sick, but it didn't work and we still had to go. (laughs) We had a few times trying to get out, but after like a few years, I don't know, just start enjoying it. I think little athletics definitely played a big part in that because of all, like, making the friendships. It was more of a, a social gathering than actual being competitive, which I think that, that really, like, kept me going with it. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of the friends that I met through athletics are still friends with now today, so train with them, compete with them, and, yeah, still catch up with them now.
1: And what other sports or activities occupied your time? You referenced the climbing of the trees and, and running, <laughs> running around. Was there any other sports that took your interest?
0: Yeah, I did quite a few. Used to do gymnastics, me and my sister did that. Was not very good at it. <laughs> I, I liked the bars, which makes sense because I like climbing. Did basketball, or my family kind of did a bit of basketball at one point. Um, soccer, did. A lot of stuff in school, different sports, whatever really came up, just did
1: it. (laughs) And the little athletics, was that something, I know you said you weren't super keen on early on. Had you initially indicated that you wanted to do it or had your parents kind of guided you to to give it a crack?
0: Honestly, I don't really know. I think maybe because my brothers did it, then they just put us all in. So, yeah, my brothers didn't keep doing it though. Me and my sister went the longest with it. So, I don't don't even know. I think my parents were just like, you know what, you can all do it.
1: do you consider what might have happened if you hadn't uncovered athletics at the age of eight, little athletics, whether you would have fallen into it at some point or do you think that was a pretty important moment to to take it on when you did take it on?
0: I think it definitely got me in earlier. I probably would have tried it eventually because in school I did it, like in primary school and I was quite good just doing it in primary school. So I probably would have done it anyway.
1: (laughs) Do you look back fondly on your childhood and the opportunities you were provided, the chance to to learn and grow and build resilience?
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I was given so many like good opportunities as a kid, and just like to be able to try so many different sports. And I had a coach, um, Marilyn Pearson, up at Carjunk Bilpin, who she trained me and my sister, and she was definitely a big mentor and kept me going, got me into the event I do today. So. Just having her as a coach, having all the people around me, my parents being so supportive, definitely had a very, like, good upbringing and, yeah, just very supportive upbringing.
1: You talked about mentors there. Were there any idols, any athletes, you know, on the national stage or the international stage that you looked up to and said, I want to be like them?
0: Yeah, probably, like, the classics, like Sally Pearson and Kathy Freeman. Honestly, I don't remember too much. Like, I wasn't full-blown, like, watching the Olympics. And I did watch it, but I don't remember look any of being like, oh, I want to be there. It kind of just like, as I've gotten older, I'm like, yeah, that's like a goal I want to reach. But as I got older, like my training partners are probably the ones that I looked up to. I trained with a guy called Ian Dewhurst. He's now in Western Australia. Um, yeah, he I always looked up to him quite a lot because we did the same event. Um, yeah, no like set role models that I've had, just random people who have been like, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and taking on the 400 hurdles your coach helped kind of guide you to that point what is it or why, why do you think you were guided to that event
0: um i was quite good at the sprint hurdles so i was like a good hurdler and she was like oh yeah do the 400 meter hurdles <laughs> i used to do high jump so i'm not sure yeah why that ended up happening but she saw something in me and i guess she saw it right <laughs> yeah i used to actually really hate doing 400s i was terrible at them and would dread Little Athletics' Nights when we had them. I was like, no, I don't want to run that. But putting hurdles kind of made it a bit easier to (laughs) deal with.
1: And when your coach suggested you go down that path, did you push back? Did you say, no, I want to try something else, I want to keep my options open? Or was it a matter of just dipping your toe in the water for now?
0: Yeah, I don't think I held back. I think I was like, oh, I mean, I don't like it, but I'll do it. (laughs) And I think we started off with 200-meter hurdles, so it kind of eased us into the four easier <laughs> entrance
1: and through your early teenage years did well, what were your career aspirations in the world of athletics
0: oh, i think just making the international teams and being up there with all the elite athletes i always wanted to be like one of those athletes that you go overseas and you compete at all the higher level events and obviously the olympics yeah i don't know you see all the athletes and they travel like pretty much full-time competing and training Which is not quite what I do after work, but um, hopefully maybe I'll get there, but we'll see.
1: (laughs) Do you think it is glorified a little bit for not just athletics, but a lot of sports out there, people kind of see the glitz and the glamour and I guess being famous and the perception of a lot of money, Mm -hmm. yet as you say, there's there's a lot of grinding that goes on, whether that's working other jobs or sacrificing things. Do you think there is a bit of a misconception about the perks of being a professional athlete?
0: Yeah, definitely in athletics, you don't really get much of a <laughs> pay in that. You kind of have to work part-time or full-time whilst training. So unless you're like overseas in America or one of those higher-up countries where they have actual like athletics programs and scholarships and all that for it, you kind of, yeah, we don't have it as easy over here. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit more, um, yeah, hard-going. You go to work, you go to train, like in the afternoons after work, <laughs> yeah.
1: And going to school in the Hawkesbury region, what was the role of education in your upbringing?
0: Pretty good. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I have, didn't really know what I wanted to do when I was in high school. Was quite always like, I kind of always leant on athletics, so that was my safety net. And I, I just spent like all the past week trying to work out what I wanted to do. So just took on like all subjects that I could and hopefully thinking they would show me what I wanted to do. PE was a good one for me. I had some really good teachers in high school, so they, they definitely... They led me in the right direction with my like, schooling and stuff and kept like, my motivation and support. Um, they were... I keep saying supportive, but... Yeah, in high school, a lot of the teachers were really supportive as well.
1: <laughs> and do you think that's important just to foster... For any kid, just to have that support to foster what they love rather than being told you have to do this or have, you have to do that, it's more about creating a culture, a culture of ambition and exploration. Do, do you think that's crucial for any kid growing up?
0: Oh, definitely. I feel like, yeah, you need to cater for, like, you need to nurture kids and encourage them to do things that they enjoy. Yeah, I feel like if they get pushed in things that they don't enjoy, it's just, yeah, they're just going to not like it, they're not going to stick in, stick to it for very long. So just giving them support and encouragement for things they actually like, I think that's a really good way to go.
1: And back on the track, do you recall a tipping point of, you know what, I'm actually better than my local area and there's something in this, you know, whether it's representative teams, state teams. Yeah. When, when was that moment for you? Oh, uh,
0: I don't think I've ever really thought I was, I don't know, better than the area yet. I'm pretty bad with my mindset. I think I'm still not good enough to be where I am. So I, I don't think I've quite got past that, that stage. Yeah, even when I competed, well, when I competed at World Champs, yeah, I felt like I was like, oh, I shouldn't be here. Like, I felt like I was very out of place there. So I'm pretty pretty down to it, Still, still not quite confident with all that.
1: But well, were your race results? Proving uh, you're ahead of the pack, and did did that open up kind of the next stage in the athletics career?
0: Yeah, it did. You definitely hit a level where you run a certain time and then people start noticing you, and then you get off. In juniors, I got invited to a hurdle camp where the top hurdles in Australia go, and that was like, whoa, like this is pretty cool. (laughs) Uh, Like those kind of opportunities, and when you get to that level, it's like you start being like, oh, yeah, like. I'm, I'm okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and once you moved beyond the Carajong-Bilpin athletics community, who were your mentors at that next level? Who helped guide you through?
0: Um, so I moved into seniors. So that was with Essex West Senior Club. And Marilyn Pearson was still my coach then. So up until probably 2014 or 15, I was with Marilyn. So she was like, still my mentor, still training with um, Ian then. And then recently, I think it was only, yeah, probably around that time I moved to a new coach, um, Lindsay Watson, who's, he's based out of um, Bankstown Athletics Club, but I, I'm still with my, yeah, senior club, R6 West, who are really great as well. Um, probably stay with them a Pretty small club, but very community-based. But yeah, Lindsay, Lindsay Watson, he's my coach now, and he's my kind of, I guess, mental health coach at the moment.
1: What were a couple of the key messages that Madeline passed on, you know, anything really formative that you've hung on to?
0: I think she really just drilled in being confident, like having confidence in myself and believing that, like, I'm good and I can do it. She, yeah, she was, Madeline, great. I still talk to Mads and she's, she's still looking after me, checking me in if I'm okay, sending me messages and be like, oh, how'd you pull up after this race, or oh, are you racing this weekend? But yeah, Mads is such, oh, such a legend, such a beautiful lady. But she's, yeah, just always being really um, supportive and just encouraging and not just being like a coach. Like, she'll be there as like a friend, kind of like a, almost a parent kind of role model. Yeah.
1: And what are you hoping then to pass on to that next generation? Because, you know, year on year, there's going to be more athletes coming through the system. What do you want to pass on to them?
0: I just want them to have fun. Like, I feel like there's so much pressure on younger athletes coming up now. Like I do a, bit, a little bit of coaching with one athlete and just like some of the, some of the parents that they talk, like her her mum talks about from the club, they just sound too full on <laughs> and they just try and push their kids to do, to do better and like try and beat this person or make this level and it's just, I feel like that's not what they should be aiming for. I just want kids to enjoy it while they're young because they have so much more time when they're older to actually be able to like actually focus on it and take it seriously and like that's when you make friends and you your friends like your lifetime friends could possibly be there in athletics or whatever sport you're doing really this is the passion of perspective podcast brought to you by sporting chance media
1: For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. In 2012, you competed in the World Junior Championships how did that all come to fruition? How did you get to that point?
0: That one was kind of a bit like my world champs one. A little bit out of like, the not out of the blue, but a bit of a surprise. It wasn't until the last, so you have to get two qualifiers for it. I got my first qualifier probably two or three weeks out from our nationals, which was the last chance to get another qualifier. And there was two girls ahead of me, and they already had the qualifier like multiple times. And then our nationals comes around, and some, I don't know what happened. I just ran really well. <laughs> ran a massive PB, almost a two-second PB, and I won it. And I was just like, oh, damn, <laughs> like, that's happening. So I got on the team, and yeah, that was, that was amazing. That, I think if I hadn't have made that team, maybe I wouldn't have stuck around with the sport. That kind of, because that was my last junior kind of international meet I could have made. So making that was like, oh, this is like this is what I want to do. I want to keep trying to make these kind of teams um, but yeah, that was a really good experience for me at that age.
1: Two seconds off the PVs <laughs> a massive, massive effort. What changed? Was it a mindset? Had you grown, you know, in terms of how you approach the race? What do you think triggered that change?
0: Um, honestly, I'm not sure. I don't know if I just was peaking at the right time. So like <laughs> training obviously like at the right time and I just ran well on that day. Um, I remember being really, really nervous for that race. I got to the track and I just wanted to cry. At <laughs> a Milo, maybe that helped me that morning. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it was Ian actually. He said to me at training a couple of weeks before, um, he was like, anything can happen in the race. Like you just, you just don't know. Like the best person who everyone thinks is gonna win could fall or like they might have an off day. And I'm like, yeah, anything can happen. So I think maybe that was in my head as well a bit. But yeah, a few little things.
1: <laughs> and are you a nervous racer normally or are you extra nervous that day?
0: Oh, that was probably one of my extra nervous days. I'm usually pretty nervous. But yeah, that was definitely a, <laughs> that was a very nervous day.
1: And is it nerves about the performance? Is it nerves about the outcome? Nerves that you're not going to hit your potential? What triggers it, do you think?
0: A little bit of everything. I'm just nervous about the outcome mostly. That I'm gonna just stuff something up, and then it's not gonna go the way I've imagined it, or just not knowing what's gonna happen kind of freaks me out. I need to, <laughs> I need to know, but obviously can't predict the future. So,
1: and do you employ strategies from a mental side to to stay in the moment and not get too far ahead of yourself?
0: Yeah, like re- recent years, I've been trying to do a bit more visualization before races, so trying to like. It was a bit weird. I'll lay in bed the night before and kind of just like run through the steps in my head. So I'll be like kicking my foot jolting a little bit, trying to like practice my 15 steps and then hurdle. And Yeah, I think that has helped. Just trying to imagine how it's going to go and then hopefully that will happen then on the day. i try not to think about the outcome too much, just focusing on one step at a time. So just coming out of the blocks and then first hurdle and then after that so on.
1: <laughs> you spoke about the 15 steps there and speaking as someone who is isn't in athletics, is it is it that plan to a that you know how many strides you need to get before each hurdle?
0: Yeah, so usually I'll do a certain amount of steps to each hurdle. Um, so I'll do like right leg to the first hurdle and then I'll try and hit 15 steps between each hurdle up until a point and then kind of put in an extra step after that. So it's, it's a bit frustrating sometimes trying to keep that um, stride pattern for the whole race, but uh, it's what I train for, I guess.
1: Coming back from the World Junior Championships in 2012, what changes did you feel locally? locally did you feel like maybe you had a target on your head as an athlete where the other races working hard to try try beat you each time?
0: No, it was mainly my, like just self-pressure. Like, when I came back, I was like, oh, like I competed at this comp. like People are going to think I'm... Um, like, expect things of me now, they're going to expect me to run well. So, like, I remember my first comeback, I was probably more nervous than I was when I ran at World Juniors, just because I was like, oh, what if I don't run well? And people were like, oh, I thought she was good. But no one, like, no one else really put pressure on me. It was just, yeah, i kind of getting my own head a bit.
1: (laughs) How hard is it, Sarah, to not tie your identity and your self-worth to your performances? Because you hear a lot of athletes, a lot of creatives as well who – let themselves be dictated by how they perform in whatever their field is. How hard is it to separate what you do on the track to who you are as a person?
0: Uh, it's, it's tough sometimes. So like when you don't perform well, it's hard to walk away from that and be like, okay, it's just a race, like back to reality kind of now. I do dwell a bit <laughs> on bad races, but I think having, having like family and like my partner as well, they kind of snap you out of it a bit and bring you back down to earth.
1: <laughs> and are there other hobbies outside your racing these days that, that you do deliberately to, I guess, separate yourself from it?
0: Well, I'd, like I do PT for work, so that kind of that takes my mind off training and stuff a bit. I, I don't know, I go through phases of getting into things and then I kind of get bored of it or just stop doing it. So I went through a phase of like trying to learn the piano and then I was like, okay, not very good. <laughs> I'll stop that now. I enjoy, like, I'll keep, like, I'll always be, like, a climber at heart. So, I always, every now and then, go and climb something. Or on the monkey bars at the gym, I enjoy doing that. Like, last, oh, when I actually, World Champs, yeah, I was really getting into just, like, mucking around the monkey bars at the gym. And just, that, I think that actually really played a big part in how well I went in that season, because it distracted me a lot. So, I wasn't always thinking about training. It sounds silly, but it gave my mind a break from thinking about my proper training and i was like oh i'm gonna go muck around on these bars i have nothing to do with athletics
1: and is that something you try to keep in your training today is something just something a bit different to to keep it fresh
0: i actually haven't done it too much lately but it's, i should <laughs> i should do that <laughs> i'm trying to think of what i've lately because i've been trying to do personal training a lot more now so it's been personal training napping <laughs> and training, so not, not too much hobbying at the moment.
1: Your time travelling overseas for competition, outside of athletics, what has that taught you as a person? How do you think you've developed by being exposed to, to different areas and different cultures?
0: Oh, it's, it's shown me definitely how different it is because you kind of get caught up in... Because I haven't travelled too much, so going overseas is like, oh, my God, like this is so different, especially Doha going for world champs. Going there and seeing just like how different the culture is and how like women aren't allowed to go out in public like about themselves and how, how, how differently they dress. It was definitely an eye-opener. It's cool. It's cool to see different cultures and how everything works or even just like the climate. <laughs> Doha was very, very humid. So that, was, that was nice. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and if you had the ability to connect with other athletes on a regular basis from around the world?
0: Uh, not really I don't think I've had too much enough experience overseas competing to be able to perform kind of relationships with like athletes from other countries I don't like in Australia I have a lot of good friends with people from different states so a lot of my um, closest friends are from actually world juniors so I have a really good friend in um, Western Australia who I am in touch with still and go in South Australia but it's our event, 400 hurdles, everyone gets along really well, which is great. Like, all the girls, like, different states, are all good friends. And whenever we get to do comps, we're like, yay, we get to see each other. So that's, yeah, that's really cool.
1: What's that like, though, when you get to the start line and it's great to catch up with your friends, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you, you do want to beat them in the race. H- how do you flick the switch in, into competitive mode?
0: Oh, I feel like once you start warming up, it's that everyone kind of, they know that's, like, time to... Start focusing on the race. So they're not, yeah. They kind of keep themselves and on the start line. You, yeah, every now and then I forget, and i be like, oh, good luck. But I'm like, oh. <laughs> that's more like a <laughs> high school kind of primary school thing you say it, but I, st- I still every now and then I'll do it, just say it. But yeah, I I think it's it's easy to kind of click off. Like I raced with my training partner as well, so like we obviously want to be like good luck and like every now and then we we'll do like a fist bump before the race. But once you're on like behind the blocks, it's like okay.
1: <laughs> and over the years. How have you balanced the love for racing and the enjoyment of racing with performance? You could walk away from a race being like, that was so much fun, I really enjoyed myself, but my performance wasn't there. Yeah. How much of a balance is that for you? (laughs)
0: Uh, Honestly, with four hurdles, (laughs) it's not too enjoyable. Most races, when you walk off the track, you're like, oh, that was not fun. So when you do run well, it's kind of like that's the only time (laughs) I enjoy it. Um, But I have had like... 2019, a lot of my races I did enjoy and that probably contributed to like why I had a, such a good season. But yeah, definitely running well <laughs> does coincide with how, how happy you are and how much fun you have.
1: <laughs> Is there been a memorable race outside of the World Champs that's really stood out for you, perhaps for performance, perhaps for location or prestige of the race? Has there been one that's really jumped out to you?
0: Probably Oceania Champs. So we had Oceania Champs before before Doha. It was in, I think, June or July. Um, so you had to qualify. It was after our nationals and kind of in between, like, an awkward time. Usually it's, it's a lower level kind of comp, but for this one it was a good opportunity to earn points for, say, like Olympics or to get into Doha. So that was – we got to wear the Australian uniform, and it was really cool. It was – against like, yeah, Oceania kind of like New Zealand and other countries. That one was probably, that's probably my favourite race actually. That is my favourite race <laughs> out of all. Um, I just ha- just had a really good competition, ran really well. Wasn't like, I was nervous, but I wasn't overly nervous, which was weird for me because it was like, I knew if I ran well, I could potentially qualify for world champ. So I was a little bit of pressure there, but I just wasn't really thinking about it. It kind of just happened. And I remember running in the heats and I was like, oh like that like that just felt really good like I'd never run on the track before so usually that kind of makes me a bit like anxious if I haven't run on it before I remember I wore the briefs (laughs) I never run in briefs when I do hurdles so I was like I feel so free running in the back straight and then yeah the final came around and just uh don't know just I hit the hurdle first over my wrong leg so did all of the back straight with my wrong leg hurdling and then somehow that probably that worked for me and I came home and I was like oh I'm going to get tired now and then the girls were going to start pulling away I'm like oh they're not pulling away I'm like oh I'd actually like in for a shot here and yeah I ended up coming through with the win, doing a, like a big oh little PV but it was just off the world champs qualifier so 0.07 which is not much at all <laughs> it was pretty frustrating but like yeah that that race was definitely by far my favorite
1: what's going through your mind as you say, you're coming down the back straight there, you've run you know, 250, 300 metres to that point. What goes through your, your head? Is it purely tactics and strategy or is there an element of flow and freedom that goes through your mind?
0: Usually the back straight is a little bit more free so you kind of just kind of just go with it. Just taking one hurdle at a time. so That's why I like hurdles better than just a 400-metre flat because you, you focus on the hurdles. So each one, then you're like, okay, now next hurdle. Then when you get to the bend, it's kind of like then a bit more <laughs> mentally. You're like, okay, I'm in pain, but keep going. But yeah, the first the first half's definitely more of like a, a rhythm kind of flow, and then last half is when you start more going for it.
1: <laughs> and have you considered dabbling back in, say, the two hundred or the hundred hurdles as a discipline, or you're you're pretty set on the four hundred?
0: I think I'm pretty certain the four hundred hurdles, but I have I have considered doing. The sprint hurdles i just don't think i have the speed for it yeah i haven't quite got the speed for like 200 sprint hurdles i wish i could do it but yeah, i gotta be really realistic this is the passion of perspective podcast brought to you by sporting chance media
1: for three decades penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the western weekender Whether it's The Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, The Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. You said to me prior to our chat that accomplishing something after all the hard work, the pain and the tears is a pretty great feeling. What advice would you have for other athletes who are in the midst of a hiatus or the performances just aren't at the level that they want what would you pass on to them
0: just that when you're trying to reach a goal it's not always just up you're like you're not going to get there just like straight away it's a lot of downhill and then you're coming up that's what i struggled to realize i was like oh like i'm training all the time i should be seeing results all the time but it's not the way you got to You've just got to keep going and then eventually it's going to happen. And consistency as well. If you're really consistent with your training and recovery, not putting that pressure on. I think when you put pressure and you're stressing as well, you're just not going to see the results you want to see. So I think just try and enjoy the process and just be really consistent.
1: You hear that phrase a lot, the trust the process in sporting teams and athletes about, you know, it'll almost look after itself. If you do what you can do, the rest will look after itself. Is it easy to deter from that at time to time? Like, do you think, oh, I just want to fast track this, or I just want that to improve quicker? Like, how hard is it to stay disciplined? Oh, uh,
0: it's pretty hard. Like, even like last year when I like, went in, cause coming off World Champs, I was like, yeah, I want to run really well. Like after World Champs, I was pumped, and just like got into the off season too soon and tried to like start running fast when I shouldn't have been running at that intensity. So you really gotta, <laughs> you got to take your time. <laughs> Do the right like steps to get I mean, f- through the right training, and and you will, if you follow it, then you should hopefully see the results you want.
1: What is the next goal for you, Sarah, in your career? The World Champs in twenty nineteen is a massive, massive milestone. What what do you see as the next big milestone for you?
0: Um, definitely Olympics. Hopefully, if it goes ahead, so last year I was kind of on the right track to hopefully qualifying, and then obviously got postponed um till this year. So that's yeah, my goal at the moment. Getting in some good races and hopefully getting a spot on the team. Um after that, uh maybe making another world champs team or just really want to start running more consistently and being being up there with the more elite athletes. So at the moment my PB is fifty oh, what's my PB? Fifty six oh seven. So to be able to run in fifty fives consistently would be Really good. I would hopefully get me in some like Diamond League, so like international races. Yeah, just just running better times.
1: Fifty six oh seven. Is that ingrained in your mind every time yeah. you're at the track?
0: <laughs> yeah, certainly is. <laughs> I just I just want to beat it. <laughs> but hopefully, yeah, hopefully at the end of this season I'll get it all earlier. It would be nice.
1: Speaking on behalf of athletes around the world, how much of a gut punch was it having the Olympics? postponed to 2021 and then a bit of speculation that again it could be moved how hard is that given that you kind of prepare you build up for these moments what have you done to to kind of counteract that
0: yeah it was pretty um pretty terrible (laughs) getting postponed like we saw it coming for a while and then just just how long they delayed just making a decision made it harder because we were still training we're like what are we training for so when it got postponed it was kind of little bit of a blessing in disguise, just gave us more time to prepare, get fitter. So like, there are the positives out of it, but just just trying to think, yeah, the positives, trying to be like, oh yeah, it's just giving us more time to get better. Like hopefully we'll come out better than we were last year so we'll have a better opportunity kind of kind of um, mentality. But it, it definitely has been hard trying to go through the whole process of the off season again, when you've just done it and didn't even get through to nationals last, like last year. So hopefully it does go ahead. <laughs> but if, like, if it doesn't, honestly, it's, it's gonna suck, but there's gonna be other comps. And yeah, I'd, I'm not gonna be terribly upset if it does get cancer, just because like, it's putting other people at risk with COVID and stuff. So it's, it's probably for the best if it does get
1: cancer. <laughs> what is the role of mental preparation in your training and how much time are you spending as a percentage each week do you think on the mental side of racing
0: my mental (laughs) my mental capacity isn't not very good coming into races and training and stuff i've this season's been very up and down i've been good and then i'll get a niggle and i'm like and then i'll go back to being bad again at the moment i'm good (laughs) Um, like when you have consistent training mentally it's better I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to not to put too much pressure on training. So when I have sessions, I try not to think about the session. I'm just like, nah, just get there. Like the session's not like the end of the world. Like if you don't have a good session, who cares? Like it's just another day. So I'm just trying to think more like that and just be like, just get through sessions. Each session as it comes, and then each race as it comes as well. Like just positive thinking. <laughs>
1: In a week's training, what does that look like for you? What's the split between running on the track and working on specific techniques, time in the gym? How do you tend to break up a week's training?
0: So, usually train six days a week. Um, we'll do two gym sessions on those throughout that week. Mondays, usually we'll do a speed session and then a gym session. Tuesdays will be either like, a, um, at the moment, we do a hurdle session on the Tuesday, so a bit longer of hurdles. Wednesday is kind of like an active recovery day, gym, and then we'll do either pool or bike session just to give us a break between the two bigger sessions. And then Thursday, we're back to track, um, doing more lactic, kind of harder sessions. And then on Friday, we get to do whatever we want. As my coach says, have a, have a cigarette and a, <laughs> a scotch or something. <laughs> Don't do that, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's just our kind of recovery day, foam rolling, um, stretching, getting, getting ready for the Saturday. At the moment, that's going back out to the track and doing another hurdle session. And then Sunday's just a long run at the moment, actually, yeah. So it's pretty good at the moment, now,
1: training. <laughs> and the pre-race routine, when you get to the track on race day and say you're uh, five minutes out, what are you doing with yourself at that time? Is it a matter of just getting into a relaxed state of mind? Are you walking through the track ahead of you? What, what, what are you doing in your planning?
0: Yeah, so just before the race, usually I like to just stand there and just be on my own. I don't I don't really talk to people before the race. I feel rude, but <laughs> I'm just way too nervous. And I'll sometimes just look out at the track and just, like, look at each hurdle, like, just follow them around the track and just be like, okay, so that's right leg, right leg. And then just, yeah, mentally just be like, that's what leg I'm going to be hitting the hurdle, that's what stride I'm going to be doing. And then visualising the sprint to the finish, which usually is not a sprint.
1: <laughs> and in the search for continuous improvement you know are you scrolling the internet looking for tips and tricks are you watching other athletes from around the world and their highlights to pick up on anything or is it more the trust your training trust the process don't waste your time with that stuff where do you sit in that
0: i every now and then i do get caught up trying to look at because in like social media you see international athletes doing these certain workouts and like oh what's that i do get caught up in that a little bit but not too much because like i know my training's seen results before so obviously it's it's doing the right thing sometimes i'll sit down with my coach and we'll just discuss different um options or different things we could be doing in training but usually just just trusting what we're doing but like we do have good communication so if there's anything that i'm not sure about i'll just say to the coach i'm like okay, <laughs> don't want to do that or should we do this instead yeah
1: your work as a personal trainer, as you alluded to, what are you trying to pass on to, to people that you do train?
0: I just want some people to look at having like a healthy lifestyle. So it doesn't mean they have to eat like a strict diet and only have like chicken and veggie for dinner and lunch. But I just want them to like be able to enjoy the physical, like the exercise, as well as just mentally, like. It I don't know, I feel like when you're training and you're feeling good about yourself, it really affects your mental um, health as well. So with all of my clients, I'm just like, I'm not your PT, I'm your friend. Like I just, I'm here to like help you, see you like, see out your goals, um, feel better about yourself. So that's, yeah, that's my main goal. Just letting them, just hoping they're enjoying it, feel better about themselves. I don't, yeah, no like sh- strict like diets or you have to have this, see this result, lose this weight. Yeah, it's just, just enjoying it and, Seeing that exercise is not like it's not a painful thing, you don't have to dread it. It's an enjoyable thing.
1: <laughs> the mental health of professional athletes—it's becoming more and more reported. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that that's the case? Why do you think across the board we're seeing more cases of poor mental health in athletes?
0: I think just the, the pressure, maybe uh, people. I feel like they don't talk up about... I Now they, like, that's why probably we're hearing more about people talking up about it, which is really good. Like, before it was seen like, oh, like, that's not a thing. Like, mental health athletes wouldn't have that. Like, they're fit, they're healthy, like, they run fast, they're all they're good. But in reality, it's it's not like that. And it's good that people are finally talking up a bit about more and taking notice because there are a lot of athletes out there. And just, like, people in general, like, even with COVID, especially, I think that's opened up a lot of. Um, anyway, people have noticed it throughout <laughs> COVID a lot more and have talked about it because it's become like, become worse during COVID because people are stuck at home and can't get out and with things being cancelled, yeah, it's it's made people's lives a lot harder and mental state's definitely been affected.
1: It's been an incredible journey for you to this point, Sarah. Do you take the time? To deliberately reflect on the journey to this point,
0: I do try it. I should, should probably don't do it enough, but looking back at like how far I've come from doing like a little athletics, <laughs> running, doing high jump and jumping on the mats, <laughs> doing backwards and stuff, to like representing Australia at um, yeah in Doha, a country I'd never even heard of. It's pretty, pretty incredible. It's been, been a long long few <laughs> years to get there, but definitely I think it's been, been worth it.
1: The journey that you've been on, how important is that? Because I think a lot of people look at success and fame and think that it's a fluke or people get lucky. But how important is the whole journey to get to that point, do you feel?
0: Oh, it's pretty important. Like, it's a lot of hard work going into it. And yeah, people do think, oh, they're just naturally... Good at whatever they're doing, but it's a lot of hard work, a lot of um, sacrifices to get there. Yeah, people. I, yeah, definitely don't think people realize how how tough it is to to make it big. Like just to just to get on like an international team, just to get to to world champs. Like it's, it takes a lot of work. it takes a lot of work, and then to even make the Olympics. Like yeah, it's it's pretty incredible how much the athletes put into it and then to see their performances like it. So yeah, (laughs) it's
1: cool. Would you change it at all? The journey to this point?
0: Probably the only changes I would make would be to have enjoyed it a bit more. I feel like I got a bit caught up in it, especially in the middle years from like when I was going into senior years of athletics. I kind of put a lot of pressure on athletics. I'm like, no, I need to train. I need to do this because I'm not seeing any results. So I need to just focus on it more and not in, like, enjoy myself. So, like, I never really went on holidays or just did, did stuff with friends kind of thing. Um, where I think, I wish if I, back, I could, could go back, I would do more of that, go adventuring, go road tripping. Because, like, in, at the end of the day, like, a week of mistraining wouldn't have, wouldn't have made a difference at all.
1: And do you believe in life that we find ourselves as people or that we create ourselves? Like, do you think the path is just laid out for people or that every decision you make in life gets you to a certain point.
0: Um, I think a little bit of like it's meant to be, and then a bit of like you make you make it happen. So definitely, like the decisions you make, even they're put in front of you, so because they're meant to happen, and then if you choose to take it, then that's where you're supposed to go. <laughs> but yeah, I think the decisions you make definitely that's that's where you're gonna end up. I don't know.
1: Are there moments over the years that you look back on as, for a cliche, fork in the road moments? Like, had you made a different decision, you might not be where you are now?
0: Um, Yeah. So when I left high school, I was going to go to uni, but I decided not to just because it was a lot of travel and I didn't want to do that. But I, I literally only made the decision, I was like, oh, I'm going to do sport and exercise science just because, just because, just to choose a subject. But I'm glad in a way I didn't do that because I would have done it and I'm probably, it's not, like I'm doing personal training now, but it's a bit, <laughs> it's not the same thing. I feel like if I'd done it, it would, just, would have just been just to say I've gone to uni and like everyone else is going to uni, so I'm like, I feel like I have to. So I'm glad I didn't do that and I, I stuck to what I was doing. Maybe if I'd studied something else, if I'd known what I wanted to do earlier, then I probably could have gotten into it a bit earlier. But me, and my sister did our personal training course. Oh, I don't know, it was just out of high school, a couple of years out of high school. But I did it. I kind of copy my sister. <laughs> if she does something, I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to do it too. Also, really bad with decisions. So if she makes a makes a decision, I'm like, yeah, that's my decision also. So I did the personal training course with her, of course. <laughs> and I think following her in that was a good good choice. So she um, went really well with her PT kind of built up her own business and I was still kind of working out. I was working at Fairfax Media, just a paper factory. And I think I was a bit afraid of leaving there and kind of jumping into the unknown, like taking up something new. So she left there and went into PT and then went really well, started her own business, built by client. She got lots of clients and now she's doing amazing with it. And I think it was end of last year I quit my job I was like nah that's it I'm just gonna quit I don't know what I'm gonna do but maybe I'll do PT <laughs> um and then started yeah doing some PT had to just like message people like hey do you want to train <laughs> just to get a start started training some people and then my sister's been great with that she because she has so many clients she's just like look if I get anyone that wants a PT I'll put them on to you so now she gets any calls she's like hey do you want to train this person and they're like Yep, sure do. <laughs> Same with the gym, they um have people coming in looking for PTs, they so they're really good in that math. And within here we're like, Oh, yep, Sarah's a PT or is a PT, go to one of them. Um but yeah, working out getting following her into PT and then going to that gym last round. Such a good gym. Yeah, definitely following following those decisions is very good.
1: <laughs> the jump into the unknown, leaving your job to go into PT was there a sense of energy that came with that, the, with the risk?
0: Yeah, uh, I was just so nervous that I wasn't going to be good at it. People weren't going to like me. Like, <laughs> just, with training people, you're you just worried that, well, I'm I worried that they're not going to like either your personality or the training that they're doing. So I was just worried I wasn't going to do well with it, and then I wasn't going to enjoy it because, like, people weren't liking the training. But luckily it, it worked out well and like I've got really good clients at the moment and everyone loves it. So I, I love it at the moment. I'm really enjoying PT and it's just so rewarding. So definitely <laughs> happy with that decision and that fear. I think just jumping in and doing it, it's it's good. You just got to do that sometimes and it, it'll work out or it won't work out. Like You've got to try it and find out.
1: With one eye on the Olympics coming up, what do the next six months or so have in store for you?
0: So... We've just started our kind of season of racing. We've Got a few permit meet races, which are you you get points at them. So if you based on time, placing, um, and the level of the meet, so they're all graded. So it's like grade, uh, what are they like a C, grade D, and grade E, so on kind of meets. Um, they kind of establish like what how many points you're going to get. So. Few of those meets coming up, had our first one, oh gosh, last weekend or the week before on a Tuesday I had to go to Melbourne, which is <laughs> a very interesting trip. Last minute, decided the Saturday before that I was going. So Saturday, full out Monday, race on Tuesday, <laughs> came back. So that was I was the first one to get points. So that was good choice going there. And then yeah, got a race next Friday on camp in Canberra. Um, then another one in Canberra. Few more races and then our nationals is in Sydney. So that's in um well, I think it's early March. <laughs> no, early April, sorry. I should know this, but yeah, it's coming around soon.
1: <laughs> how do people, Sarah, follow your progress? You know, it's a very exciting year for you. But also how do they get in touch? You know, whether it's about PT or to hear more about your racing, what's the best way to get in touch? Um
0: so I'm on Facebook, just Sarah Klein No H, um, and also Instagram, Sarah Klein94. Also, with, my sister has the PT page under Built by Client, so that's also on Instagram and Facebook. Um, so any of, any of those should have been, <laughs> are good.
1: Sarah, thank you so much for an inspiring and honest conversation. Wishing you all the best for a very exciting 2021.
0: Thank you so much and thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and proudly presented by the Western Weekender.
1: For more unique and inspiring stories from the Blue Mountains and Penrith region, check out other episodes of the Passion and Perspective podcast. You can also listen to the latest series from Sporting Chance Media, Adventure Shorts, where we chat with local guests from the world of the great outdoors and hear some of their most memorable adventures. Search for Adventure Shorts on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast.